This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for January 18th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on on podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site where you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast. You can do a one time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I should have said, Case, when I started the, this intro, welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind, and Rewatch. It's a special episode this week. I'm Mike, and join alongside Case Lowe as always. Case, how's it going? Oh my goodness, it's good to be back in Rewind and Rewatch mode. You know, we published our last Drangit USA episode of this, uh, we'll call it a spinoff series, on March 22nd of last year. So it's been nearly a year since uh, we weren't talking current events. We didn't hop in line to the Dragon System buffet. We are covering a very specific moment in time, something that happened just a few years ago, and it relates directly to what is going on in Dragon Gate today. Uh, If you're new to the show, oh my goodness, welcome aboard. I was so flattered by the response simply to us dropping last week's episode, just to us hitting upload on our Cork and Aftermath episode. People seemed very excited to listen to that. Hopefully they enjoyed it. Hopefully we picked up some new listeners. Hopefully some people are now along for the ride. Uh, I was telling Mike beforehand, I'm very sick right now. I have tested negative for COVID every time I've tested, but I am feeling subpar, but I'm so happy to be here that I'm going to power through. So Case is sick. I've been locked essentially in my house since Saturday because of the big southeastern snowstorm. So we're going to bring the energy today. I'm going slightly nuts. Case Case is somewhat sick, but we have a really cool topic to talk about this week. Case, this was your idea, but I'm just going to intro this to you. At a certain point of time in Dragon Gate, post the OWE split, it became very clear, especially in hindsight, that Dragon Gate was about to emerge in a new era. Of course, that's not a big surprise if you're someone that knows history of the promotion. A lot of people left. Shingo Takaki was almost out the door. But that's not the kind of shift we're talking about. That's not the era change we're going to be talking about tonight. Because with all, everyone running around, There was a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff happening with the rookie class and the young people in the promotion. And tonight we are talking about the 2019 Rookie Ranking Tournament. Case, 
how did they get to this point? Well, you summarized it really well. After a number of really hot years, a lot of critical acclaim in the last half of 2013, 2014, and 2015, it seems like anything after Kobe World 2016, the show in which we saw Yamato defeat Shingo Takagi for the Open the Dreamgate title, anything after that, at least in my mind, represents another era of this promotion. And it's not that there still weren't high points along the way, but the consistent greatness that we have become so spoiled by seemingly from Shingo dethroning Shima for the Dreamgate belt in July of 2013 through Yamato defeating Shingo for the belt, not in August of 2013, but in July of 2016. It seemed like that era was gone after Yamato won this belt. And there were some choppy waters along the way. It's a very broad question to ask, and you could probably filter your answer into a few different categories. But in a broad sense, Mike, when you think about Dragon Gate's 2018, what do you think of? I mean, the number one thing is the OWE split. Like, uh, for those who are new to Dragon Gate, in 2018, Shima, who was the one of the aces of the promotion from its entirety, uh, left uh, and... This happened. This coincided also as the original president of Dragon Gate, Takashi Okamura, stepped down, and this was a real sea change because when Shima left, he took T Hawk, El Lindeman, Takahiro Yamamura with him, and this happened right after Dead or Alive 2018, and it was such a wild thing how everything came together for me. Like it, in a lot of ways, 2018 for me was a way that I went from someone podcasting to actually like having to do, do a journalism as I like to call it. And you, you uh, were the, the first man I knew to look at the Shima situation. And at this point, you were doing this podcast solo and it was a monthly or every six weeks endeavor. I had totally stepped away because at this point I was a sophomore in college, a freshman or sophomore in college. And I just didn't, I didn't have the time. And quite frankly, I didn't have the drive, but we had started talking quite a bit and you were the first one that was like, Hey, there's something happening. And me having this, you know, steadfast dragon gate loyalty mindset. I was like, this, this dude's insane. There's no way Shima's leaving dragon gate. That wouldn't make any sense. But Mike Spears did some journalism and, and boy, he was onto something before a lot of people were. Yeah. Uh, well, when we get to a certain point, I would say, uh, j- just pencil 2028. 20, I think a decade is enough clearance. I, I, I will talk about <laughs> the statue I, of limitations of what goes out at WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> I mean, it's just something that that, that for parties that I uh, re- interviewed, but it wasn't necessarily the the person never said off the record to me, to be clear. And it's not something that, I, I, as one of my co-hosts would say, it's not my obligation to ask you if you want to go on record or off record. That's why I say a decade about that. But yeah, no. no <laughs> is, it, is this what they say when the FBI knocks on the door and asks why they want to kill Bobby Fish on a podcast? <laughs> I mean, that that that's, yeah, you know, uh, Bobby Fish has had a, a good life. I think he's a great wrestler. I love seeing him on my TV. Everything Elite Patreon, five dollars a month. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, OWE split in May, and that came off after the OWE debut show in in February. I believe that was February. Yes, and that completely segueing into. 
this Kobe World 2018, which had like one of the more interesting stories. So I guess I am compartmentalizing it as I'm talking case uh, with uh, Masato Yoshino quickly after the King of Gate. He won the Dreamgate from Masaki Mochizuki and stepping forward with Shingo Takagi, who at this time it was he started i don't want to say going business for himself but he was saying things that weren't often said in dragon gate especially in the press talking about the changeover talking about how he wasn't consulted about this talking about how he was going to defeat masato yoshino at kobe world and then he's going to bring dragon gate into his own world order in a way, do you remember like like Shingo was like cutting was running his own program, running into this uh, uh Kobe world that was fantastic and it was like really exhilarating. And then a few months later, then Shingo left, but that then things kind of came out that Shingo was on the way out for a long time, and it just was this was the right time. And with the ownership change, not even the ownership change, the presidency change. I shouldn't say ownership; it's a co-op. Uh, with, with the new president. It, it became very clear that it would be easier for him to step away and go do his other challenges. And it wouldn't be seen as such like a negative or a slight that dissuaded him in the path. I think that's in the past. I think that's a fair way of saying Shing- describing the Shingo leaving Dragon Gate situation. Yeah, this was a year where suddenly Dragon Gate really lost their luster because the class of 2016, which we know as Ben K and Shun and Hyo and Yuki Yoshioka, obviously debuted to a tremendous amount of fanfare. Ben K is a guy that we've penciled in from basically his first matches. Okay, this guy's this guy's going to be something. He's going to be something really special. And Shun, although I don't think you or I necessarily saw him soaring to the heights that he has maybe as quickly as he has, he was always a fan favorite, at least among you know our bubble, and he's someone that we always enjoyed. But that class and Ishida and Yamamura, mainly due to their injuries, not because of their talent, they just didn't pan out. It seemed like, you know, at the end of 2015, 2016 into early 2017, like, oh my God, Drangate, you know, they restocked the pond after the millennials. They've got all of these young guys again. This is going to be so great. And then Al Lindemann kind of sputtered out and T-Hawk had a miserable 2017. And it just seemed like all of this hope about the future was suddenly drying up. And to compound that, you obviously had Shima and the OWE kids who popped up on that KBS Hall show a few days before Shima left the group and had one of the craziest matches that I've ever seen. I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, o- OWE is dead, but the vision of what they were was in that Shima and T-Hawk versus it was uh, Gao Jinga. And I think Scorpio 2 was the other guy's name. And it, it was split teams because it was like Shima and Kao Shinsha versus, I think, T-Hawk and Scorpio X2. Yeah, and I mean, if if the promotion could have existed off of that match, we would have been really on to something special. But really, that's the closest we ever got to it. So you had Shima doing his thing with Chinese acrobats, which at the time was a very, very exciting thing. And then you had Shingo, who was doing the champion carnival, and he was in Big Japan's tag league. And all of a sudden, it sounded like he was going to be working U.S. indie dates. I Facebook messaged the bejesus 
out of an indie promoter I know going, hey, you got any dates on Shingo? You know, what, what's what's the Shingo situation? You guys reached out and he's like, you like you know our budget. You know we don't have Shingo money. I was like, all right, fair point, fair point. But if you do, let me know. I can also pitch in. Uh, yeah. It, the, the- it just, it, it seemed like a time where everything around Dragon Gate was so exciting, but whatever whatever shininess, whatever freshness, whatever excitement that was there for so many years throughout the mid-2010s, it just dried up almost instantaneously. Instantly. Not instantaneously is not a word, is it? No, it's not. Instantly. Instantane- instantaneous is one, or instant- instantaneously. We're going to say that's a ah, word. I, go I, ahead, I like Mike. that. Go, go, go talk. Yeah, it, it's something that with Shingo and his departure now, like, it, it, it played out in a way that it was not unreasonable for uh, – the 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 spiders if you will of wrestling media or twitter to be like hey uh this guy's available the like uh i have you heard about this you know who you'd contact to bring this person in and there was a lot of that going on with shingo because because i think i know of who you're referring to here like I, I i had other conversations and talking to other people that were affiliated with promotions about that and there was like a big thing of like we think he might be available but the money and all of that and then also everything because he then he left and immediately did the battle of los angeles yes. and he went to the finals of the battle of los angeles and everyone was like oh shingo's doing this that must mean x y and z and instead he was uh, the sixth member of los ingramanables well that's, that's exactly after. the thing if you would have asked me at bola what does shingo's 2019 look like i would have been like this guy's gonna do 16 carat and he's gonna show up in a not problematic Brit rest scene, these people all seem awesome, and I love that this community is growing. There's so much we didn't know at the time. Uh, he, you know, he was going to travel the world as this champion freelancer, essentially, and do all of these things, and it was needed because while it's easy to look on paper at some of the lineups that Dragon Gate put out in 2018, which was going to be one of my main points, was, you know, I feel like there's a number of years, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, where you could give me a month and I could probably name the Cork and Hall main event. I look at these 2017 and 2018 cards and I just have no memory of any of these matches. And so while it may seem exciting in hindsight that Shingo was in this tag match with Ben K and Yoshino and whoever else, he was suffocating at the top of the card. He And it's not, it's not his fault. It was a, a weird sort of situation where Shingo was just so good that it was hindering the growth of the young heels on the roster. And while it was unfortunate to see him go with three years of hindsight, it couldn't have worked out better for every party involved. Yeah. And I think like that was a thing because when you talk about Shingo Takagi and you're, you've talked about like the most recent golden era of Dragon Gate, a lot of that was Shingo Takagi as a heel and Shingo Takagi's heel run in Dragon Gate, especially Verserk, and and a little bit into Antios, but really in Verserk, it was omnipresent. It was in a way kind of suffocating. Like, and it's not. I'm not saying suffocating as a pejorative. I'm saying suffocating that like you could feel like, oh, this is Shingo's era. This is Shingo's era. What do you do after someone uh, loses that title to Yamato, as you talked about in 2016? Then it just gets really kind of like fish out of water. Like he sticks out like a sore thumb. Like they immediately moved into a Kiritazawa's farewell thing that kept them busy for a while. He got to kick out Naruki Doi. And, and then you look into 2017 and 2018, 
case we're talking about the feud that drove you from podcasting for a while and almost had you hang up the keyboard with him and Rio Saito over the Warai gate so legitimately my least favorite thing Dragon has ever done was the series of Shingo versus Rio Saito matches I I can't imagine going back and watching those they just they I have such hate in my heart for everything that those matches represented <laughs> yeah no it's just something that like what do you do with someone who has been your top line heel for give or take about three years you know but if he hasn't been a heel he's just been or the top guy he lurks in the background it, it, it's an unintentional pull of focus so when uh Verserk became Antios in early 2018 and Shingo's like I'm taking a step back like that was a good like the, the thought was there the thought counts but it just was not a position that Antios never could have worked even with even if T-Hawk and Lineman stayed because you had Shingo involved with that and shingo is just looming ever present so oh completely go ahead and and so you just get to this point where you you get the kobe world with him and uh you get the kobe world with him and masato yushino you get that cool angle that he ran for himself and then you're you're kind of left with like what do you do with this guy like like in like the old system but in like the old territory system not in japan but territory system he would have already done loops around the country at that point like there was no chance for him to do this and it's not even like a staleness because he was still putting out great work it just is what do you do with shingo takagi it made sense at that point for all parties to be like we wish you well and, and as we've seen since then he's he's kept a very positive relationship with dragon gate like it, it, it there's no hard feelings there whatsoever whereas that might have been a case with people or with him if he just up and quit when he probably really wanted to up and quit originally and the shima component of this is really valuable as we kind of move into why even at the time let alone with the hindsight that we have now but even at the time why this rookie ranking tournament was so important because shingo had outgrown dragon gate he's really the only guy that i've ever seen do that whereas shima even at the end just felt like a piece of the puzzle of this company and when he left, he, you know, obviously him leaving was such a catastrophic ordeal, but taking L. Lindemann, who, you know, was probably never going to be a top of the line star, but was somebody that mattered on this roster to a degree. T-Hawk, who had been groomed as a star and, you know, ultimately, I think we can say failed in Dragon Gate, but was still a core member of this youth brigade that they were promoting at the time. And then Takahiro Yamamura, who was someone pegged to be a future Dreamgate champion from the day that he debuted. Obviously, he's had numerous health issues since then that have gotten in his way, but uh, Yamamura at his peak is uh, just such a delightful wrestler, and I really wish that his career would have played out a different way. So you have Shima not only leaving, which even if it seemed to have worked out for Dreamgate, it just looked really bleak at the time. And on top of that, he's taking three of their brightest prospects with him. And I had a moment in time, and this is, you know, something that I I believe I've discussed on this show before, but looking at what I did for Voices of Wrestling, when Stronghearts jumped to Wrestle 1, which was, they first showed up, I remember the date, it was June 22nd, 2018, and then they wrestled on the July Cork and Hall show, and they had this absurd, shimerific, and I mean that in the most positive way possible, multi-man elimination match, and it felt like the spark that had been missing from Dragon Gate for a few years at that point, I really thought that maybe I would become a Wrestle 1 guy, or that I would at least follow around Strong Hearts wherever they went. You know, I voted Shima 
as my number one Flair Fez winner in 2018. I really thought he had the best candidacy of anybody in the world that year because he went to all of these different territories and he conquered them. Strong Hearts is still the only thing that ever drew a diamond wrestle one. He popped houses in DDT when he went there. He popped houses in All Japan recently. Uh, this is a guy who wherever he went, business went up when he and his you know bandits, these Strong Hearts guys showed up. And that was suddenly much more exciting because I remember that Kobe World 2018. I mean, think about that. That's Yoshino versus Shingo, which is a match we should be salivating over. And even I remember reviewing that show and just feeling dull about it. Just like, oh, yeah, no, this is fine. You know, they're going to do their spots and, you know, this show will be over and then we'll move on to the next show. And reviewing the product at the time felt very clinical. There wasn't a ton I could really latch on to until we got to the back half of 2018 and all of a sudden these names like shun skywalker and kaito ishida and ut and this new kid coach Minoru, and this newer kid dragon daya they started showing up and they started interjecting themselves into uh, the dragon gate shows in a way where you couldn't ignore them and for me you know i look at 2018 as a really dark time this is not a year that i am really you know looking to revisit in dragon gate history but the last few months of this year gave me some hope towards the future, and obviously that seemed to pan out. Yeah, and it's something where we have talked about since that, like they're in like this this time that it is kind of an acceleration of 2019 in a way, or like the next step forward, where it's preparing the fan base really, but it's also preparing the wrestlers for the inevitable generation full changeover. And if you want to look at a point that the first point about bringing across this generation was December 1st, 2016, of course, the rookies versus vet tag match, because that was kind of the, the big step out to the stage of that class of 2016. But then you have to look at the next step was this tournament. And if there was like a shuffle into the step, it was Mochizuki Dojo. Like it became something where like you had these kids that are just up and down the show that like, yeah, no, there's a lot of other stuff going on there. They're still trying to get their sea legs in. I mean, Brother Yashi was around a way too much at that time. Way too much Brother Yashi. But you always had some really solid stuff going on with Mochizuki Dojo. And that Fun. was really fun Go ahead. funny you mentioned brother yashi mike because we're going to start our timeline full rewind and rewatch energy we're going to the timeline and we're going to july 5th 2018 dragon gate in cork and hall a show that was referenced last week as this was the show with the antios versus over generation losing unit disbands nanawa style elimination match in the main event that over generation team represented by dragon kid gamma kaito ishida and problem dragon Holy shit, what a bad lineup that is. But our opening match on that show is the maximum trio of Ben K, Jason Lee, and Masato Yoshino, and they defeat Punch Tamanaga, the aforementioned brother Yashi, and a debut wrestler in Kota Minora. Do you have any recollection of watching Minora's debut? You know, his is like the last debut that I don't remember very, very clearly because he was kind of debuted kind of just like oh yeah he's in the opener like it did not feel like such a thing it was like oh yeah this is our new wrestler here like i don't even think he made any exhibitions but or match zeros before the show before this cork and hall show in the lead up no. and this was in the lead up to kobe world yes and and i had not seen him 
until he debuted here. I think I had maybe heard some rumblings that he existed, that he was maybe working some dark matches, but we didn't get any match zero footage of him at any point. It was this match where he popped up on this show. Also, something that is relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, match three, a tag team match with Masaki Mochizuki and Shun Skywalker defeating UT and Yosuke Santa Maria. After the match, Skywalker looked for guidance uh, uh, from Mochizuki. Mochizuki, not super interested. But that takes us to August 7th of 2018, once again in Cork and Hall. An opening match that is notable because it was Gamma, Sashihoko Boy, UT, and Kota Minora defeating Susumi Yokosuka, Brother Yashi, Problem Dragon, and Oji Shiba. This is notable for two reasons, because much like you, I don't remember Minora's debut, but I remember the second month of his career, all of a sudden he had gear and was way more fleshed out than just a normal black tights young boy only one month into his career, and he beat Oji Shiba in this match, and Shiba was his senior, which was a notable accomplishment. Yeah, and Oji, of course, came about and debuted during his broke his brother Katoka's retirement tour. Like he was really featured and then really that was kind of it for OG. But the fact that uh that Minonora penned him in his second Corkin match and got the win there was like the big step forward here. And I have a feeling I know what you're gonna talk about next. But before we get into this, uh just to give people the sense of how the show really how Dragon Gate was looking at this time. You had a main event no contest for the Twin Gates with BB Hulk and Yamato versus Shimizu and Doi. And then you also had a three-minute uh, Ishida and Kanda match. And that was before Hiroshi Yamato and Kai defeating Kakatora and Yosuke Samaria and one of the longest matches on the card. The, lo- the third longest match on the card, like the longest match of the card before intermission. I specifically remember that Hiroshi Yamato and Kai versus Kagatora and Maria match being horrific. And this was this was the second time that Yamato and Kai had been brought in, which I guess that speaks to where this company is at in 2018, because, you know, now you have guys that matter, either young guys or old guys in Dragon Gate currently that aren't booked on every show because the roster is so large in 2018 because of injuries and people leaving they needed to phone a friend. They needed Hiroshi Yamato and Kai to come in to fill out these Tokyo cards, which really speaks to where this company was at. I will say the one match that Mike did not mention on the show was a six-man tag with Don Fuji, Ryo Saito, and Willie Mack against Genki Horiguchi, Keizy, and Punch Tamanaga. And I remember giving that match four stars. That match kicked ass. Hey, Willie Mack and Don Fuji is the Twin Gate team that we never got that we really deserve. I asked Willie, maybe I've told this story on the show before. I asked Willie at an indie show uh, two years ago. I came up to him. I was like, hey, man, uh, I, I just want to say I really I really liked what you did in Drangate. I thought you had a really good tour. Are there any plans to go back anytime soon? And he looked at me and got really quiet. He just goes, you saw that shit? And that was the end of the I was like, yeah, no, I was a big fan. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't have anything planned right now, but if they want me back, I'll go back. But damn, I didn't, I didn't know people watched that. And I was like, oh no, it was really well received. People, people really liked it. Like people paid attention to Dragon Gate. Uh, but the stuff that matters on this show is a very bizarre three-on-one handicap elimination match. It was Hyo Watanabe, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka, guys from the class of 2016. They defeated Masaki Mochizuki. And I will turn to a wonderful article that John Hernandez wrote for Voices of Wrestling last year, where he recaps a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. 
Uh, but John summarized it by saying, you know, in the summer of 2018, Mochizuki dropped the Open the Dreamgate title to Yoshino and decided it was time to transition into education. He declared he wanted to turn his focus on onto helping the younger generation. And while he didn't intend to start a unit, it wasn't long before he was playing Din Dad to four eager Cubs because of this three-on-one handicap match that Shun won by pinning Mochizuki with a Skywalker moonsault. Mochizuki agreed to essentially coach these guys, and he had two conditions, one of which is that Mochizuki Dojo was not a unit. They would fight together or team together based on the situation, and something that Mochizuki didn't necessarily follow through on, which is that anyone can come or go as they please. So we see here the formation of, you know, our favorite wrestler, still consistently the best guy in the company, Mochizuki, and now he is taking these three guys under his wing and immediately at a time in this promotion where I really needed something to resonate with me. This is what did it. Yeah, no. Mochizuki Dojo is the best unit that never was. That really was a unit the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, so much fun. And, like, they, it, it was always great to have, like, on a big show, be Mochizuki tagging with, like, Yuki Oshioka and Shun Skywalker against people. And it just felt like, and, and it was, like, the perfect way to, to get these guys both ring experience and at the same time it's like all right you all would have grappled you all would have had matches like match ones or match twos with these guys but it was important for them to start developing chemistry like like figure out things in these matches with the with like the uh wrestlers that are like your maximums like your doyoshis like or even going up against like no over generation died at this point what do i think of this natural vibes like, it was important to do this, uh, Tri-Vanguard. It was important to kind of develop the, this timing here and be able to develop the rapport there that Mochizuki Dojo delivered that in spades. And you just hit on something there, which I think really shows how dire this, this uh, how direly needed this unit was because who are the units at this time? It's Maximum, which we all recognize as one of the most fun units this promotion has ever had, but it's Tri-Vanguard with Yamato and Hulk and a singlet wearing Flamita and Kagatora and Yuti and Maria. It's the first incarnation of natural vibes, which is yes, KZ, Susumu, and Genki, but it's also Punch Tamanaga and Brother Yashi. And then you have Antios, who I think is the worst unit this promotion ever had. So there's not exactly a lot of depth here. So Mochizuki coming into play, taking these guys under his wing, it helped everything. It just all of a sudden I could breathe in this promotion again because there was one thing that I could latch onto. Something that's not in our notes, but something that I, I do think is worth mentioning, if you're looking for more match recommendations from this time period and you want to use your Drangate Network subscription, September 24th, 2018, Dangerous Gate of that year, Shun and Mochizuki versus Yamato and BB Hulk for the Open the Twin Gate titles. One of my favorite matches in Drangate history. It was really the night for me where I went, oh my god, Shun. Shun is not just this fun undercard wrestler shun is going to be something now even at that point i was like uh, maybe a Dreamgate champion one day we'll see but that is the match where i know for me it really clicked that shun was more than just a guy on the roster yeah and that was the important thing about mochizuki dojo was that he would bring shun to like the all japan uh junior tag battle glory he would later bring yoshioka to that and y y you got like these opportunities for these guys because they were teaming with mochizuki like normally there's no reason for shun skywalker to have a twin gate match we had mochizuki that's added cachet and it was so important you know four years ago to have those matches so that he could have those matches he had in 2010 or 2021 sorry 
Yeah, Shun and Mochizuki showed up to that 2018 All Japan Junior Tag Tournament, and they wiped the floor with everybody. They were so far and away the best team in that tournament, and then that's when Shun came back and had that, that Twin Gate match was right after that tournament. So at this point, we have Mochizuki Dojo. There's a core there. And then we have this guy, Coach Minor, who I talked about how he debuted in July. And all of a sudden, in November of 2018, at that Cork and Hall show, that was on November 6th, 2018, a main event that was a four-way 12-man tag team match with Ben K, Big R, Shimizu, and Pac beating a Maximum, Natural Vibes, and Tribe Vanguard trio. There was a two-minute and 29-second match on this show. Match number two, Masaki Mochizuki defeats Kota Minora. The result was never in question, but the way this match started was shocking. As Kota Minora, 19 years old, got in the ring, Mochizuki offered him a handshake, and Kota Minora slapped him in the face. And, oh boy, what a mistake and simultaneously the best thing that could have happened for Minora's career. Yeah, and it's something that they've played off of ever since then. Uh, the, but before you get on to the other thing that happened in this, just to give another sense of where Dragon Gate was in 2018. So my main event, Bandito, Hiroshi Yamato, and Kai defeat Kazuma Sakamoto, Takashi Yoshida, and Daga. Weird Dear promotion. Lord. Oh my god. <laughs> that Weird is promotion. So, oh god. Yes. Uh, so that happened. We'll leave it at that. And then there are two other matches on this show that are worth pointing out. One, a six-man tag that was Kagatoro, UT, and Yosuke Santa Maria, and they defeated that Mochizuki Dojo trio of Yo Watanabe, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka. I'll pause here for a second because I want to talk specifically about that Tribe Vanguard trio. I've mentioned them on this show before. Kagatoro, UT, and Maria. I notoriously, and I apologize to Sarah 4L profusely, but for years, I was a UT detractor. I did not care for this guy. I didn't want him on my roster. I wanted to flick him away and be done with him. I didn't get it. And then UT joined up with Tribe Vanguard, and he specifically found chemistry with this trio. And for the first time in his career, I looked at UT and I said, that is a guy that I would like to watch wrestle. Yeah, UT is someone that after Millennials, he got snake bit with injuries. That's kind of the story of UT. And he came back and they were really kind of like letting him put his toe back in the water. But then he, they had him eventually join Tribe Vanguard. And this trio with him and Maria and Kagatora was so much fun. Like, didn't, didn't they have a Triangle Gate uh, match soon after this? Like, like, they got a challenge out of this. I, or if they didn't, I was constantly calling from the have a trial to have a trial of this. But like the big thing that changed in UT was uh, when he started in Tri Vanguard. The story goes: Yamato was like, "You spent all that time in Mexico training, and you like doing that stuff. You're good at that stuff. Why don't you do that and not try to be a flyer? Why don't you be UT?" And that kind of changed. I, I I would say that might have been the scale the scales from from your eyes moment case because that was when UT became the mini maestro that he is now. Yeah, and it was a delightful transition to see. Uh, to your point, September 9th, 2018, the first Gate of Origin show in Sendai opened the Triangle Gate match with Genki, Keizi, and Yokosuka versus Kagatora, Yuti, and Maria. Unfortunately, I do not remember anything about that match. Do you remember anything about that tw uh, Triangle Gate challenge? I remember it happened. The, the like Gate of Origins were really weird, and they didn't really try up until last year. So <laughs> usually, if something happened at Gate of Origin, I kind of forgot about it. To be honest, 
Yeah, that was uh, that was the year. So this was the first show, and it was headlined by Yoshino versus Takashi Yoshida. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And because it was Dragon in 2018, I remember biting my nails like, well, they're they're not going to put the belt on Yoshino, right? Like, Yoshino has to win this, right? Like, someone please tell me I'm not crazy. And then luckily, Yoshino won. Also on that show, Eita versus Punch Tamanaga in a 14-minute Brave Gate match. I have blocked that out of my memory. And now we know why we don't have instant recall of Gate of Origin in 2018. <laughs> so on this show, we had Mochizuki versus Minoru. And I should mention that Mochizuki was so impressed with the guts that Minoru showed by slapping him in the face that he offered him a spot in Mochizuki Dojo. We had the other three members, Watanabe Skywalker and Yoshioka, losing in a six-man tag team match. And then we also had a tag team match of Eita and Yasushi Kanda versus Dragon Kid and the debuting Dragon Daya. And Daya's debut was really exciting because it seemed like one of the only times where Dragon Kid has been able to use their English account social media to their leverage, where they were really hyping up Daya like he was going to be a big deal. And his debut was something that, you know, say the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast who only pay attention to the biggest things that happened in Dragon Gate. Dragon Daya's debut at that point was one of the biggest things. This was something that people were paying attention to, and he had a fine debut. Yeah, I, I, I should lay my cards on the table here. I was a major Dragon Daya detractor. Pretty much true. pretty much I would say I turned on him during uh the three-way generation war. It was something that as we go through, luckily they changed this. Uh, Case, you did notice what I did tweet out last night as a little winky winky, did you? I did notice your winky winky, Mike. Yeah, it, I found the graphic of the uh, rookie ranking tournament, and they had one of the original photos of Dragon Die, one of the original press photos, and he just looked like the gear and the look was not good. Like the mask kind of sucked. It was a bad mask. He was wearing like these little shorts and. The, the big thing was, like, he was going to be the heir of Dragon Kid, and I was, like, looking at this guy. I was like, really? This guy is going to be the heir of Dragon Kid? Of course, now, with all the hindsight in the world, especially after the events of last week, I'm like, yeah, no, he actually might be bigger than Dragon Kid at this point. <laughs> but at, but but in November 2018, I was like, what is this guy? Like, what are they trying to do here? Yeah, it was, I, I was someone who was higher on, on him than Mike was. I actually like the shorts. I kind of wish he would bring the shorts back, but... He debuted to a lot of notoriety, and then basically around the time period we're talking about, you know, he got hurt and he got sick, all in kind of this stretch here. Where if you look at his 2019, there's a reason you ch you turned your you changed your mind on him during the Generation War because he doesn't really wrestle in 2019. He only has a handful of matches throughout this entire year. It's not until uh, the uh, Gate of Destiny, the November pay per view of 2019, where he wins a battle royal and really starts to get his career on the right track. But yeah, it's a, it's a rough first year for Daya. In November of 2018, we had no idea what he would become. And in December of 2018, December 4th to be exact, we really start to see some things happen. This is a Cork and Hall show that I know you remember, Mike. 12-4-19, Ben K versus Shun Skywalker on this show. Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the wrong card here. Is that 12? That's that's a year later. I don't want that. I want 12-4-18, which is Pac versus Yoshino in the main event. Yeah, this was the this came after the November Corkin where 
Pack returned. We talked about this last week about like everyone thinking, oh, he's going to go to New Japan. No, he came home. And he instantly, he said, like, I'm a different man now. He challenged Yoshino, beat Yoshino quickly and clean. And the Corkin audience was, was like kind of a gasp, but at the same time, they're like, wow, this is a different man now. It just was like one of those things that it, it became one of those title runs that I think still, like, with the hindsight, set up what's happening now like like basically pack came in and said give me give me seven months and i'll give you your next five years and things have played out that way oh pox run was great in the moment but with hindsight it only gets sweeter i mean what he did was just so remarkable he was so good and so needed as a champion and this promotion is so now that I have the right card. This is 2018, obviously headlined by Pac versus Yoshino. There is a Bandito, Dragon Kid, and Flamita versus Daga, Ben K, and Ata Six Man, which kind of sounds like fun. I need to look at my review and see what I gave that match because that, that could have been decent. But the two things that matter here an eight man tag team match that was Hyo Watanabe, Kota Minora, Masaki Mochizuki, and Yushioki Yoka. Yuki Yoshioka defeating Hiroshi Yamato, Jason Lee, Kaito Ishida, and Naruki Doi, in which Yoshioka pinned Ishida. And then a rarely seen 20 minute draw between Shun Skywalker and UT. Mike, tell me what you remember about this 20 minute draw. Oh, it rocked. It was like UT using Shun Skywalker's body as a jungle gym, and then Shun Skywalker still being in that phase where he goes to do his rope walk uh, quebrada, and he almost kills himself, <laughs> but it turns out awesome. It, it, it was really a whole lot of fun, that match. I loved it. So after the 20-minute draw, this is where I'm going to turn to the Wayback Machine and the iHeartDG archives, because we have some promos that we need to talk about. Jay wrote for iHeartDG, after UT versus Shun, Mochizuki told Shun that while the fan reaction was incredibly positive, if there had been a decision after the draw, he thinks Shun would have lost. How he decides to handle that is up to him. As for UT, he isn't the biggest fighter, but he showed today how effort and sheer will could even the odds. Yoshioka interrupted. Last month, Mochizuki told Shun that uh, this was a match he couldn't afford to lose. At the same time, Shun had said that he was ranked higher than him. Today, he got a win over Ishida, and that wasn't enough for him. He also wanted to see just who was the best amongst himself, UT, and Shun. Mochizuki Dojo, as we established, isn't a unit, so Shun was more than happy to fight to figure it out. He was upset at the idea of someone thinking that they were better than him just because they got a win over Kaito Ishida. That is Shun Skywalker saying that. This brought out a very angry Ishida to the ring. Yoshioka was talking a lot of garbage after a fluke win. He didn't want to hear any of this talk, this big talk from a bunch of guys who aren't even unit members. He is a distinguished member of Maximum. He has no respect for UT either. He hates people who always talk about how hard they are trying. Ashita said, you are a wrestler. It's what you're supposed to do. UT said that he hates anyone who can't do anything but kick. He could easily catch any of his kicks, turn it into a Yave and make him tap. Mochizuki wondered if UT was talking about him with that comment, but UT confirmed it was directed at Ishida. This is when Watanabe jumped in. Yoshioka was below him, below him in terms of career, but he didn't mention his name at all when issuing challengers. He was going to stand by and be considered the he wasn't going to stand by and be considered the lowest. He tried to fire up Minora and get him to respond the same way, but Minora said he just debuted and wasn't really worried about that sort of thing yet. A brawl broke out until GM Yagi broke things up. 
using career to decide rank is pointless. He knows a much better way to settle things, and he will prepare a league for the early part of 2019. Yagi expects them to train hard over the New Year holidays. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing for me about this was Mochizuki was kind of setting around with amusement until he heard UT say that. He was like, <laughs> let me make sure you're not talking about me, right? You know what that means if you're talking about me, right? UT quickly was like, no, 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 Ishida here. And the one thing that I really miss from GM Yagi's tenure as GM was the glee he had when he had an idea he was going to make people deal with it. And it was always like Rio Saito, we've seen as, as a GM, he's like, okay, fight now. Like, I don't want to deal with this, just just settle it now. Yagi was the GM equivalent of a scientist. He had matchmaking beakers that he would mix together. And he said, Well, what about a league? And what if we had a match? Uh, called the Yagi style elimination match where everybody enters within 45 second intervals and over the top rope eliminations count like Yagi uh, had a certain flavor to him that I I do miss at times I mean the uh, Yagi bakery decision where he would bring out loaves of bread for people to figure out what their match type was in like he he took glee in tormenting people whereas whereas Ryo Saito just seems flustered Yes, no, Rio Saito is like me at my shoot job. It's not that it's hard, but man, do you get flustered easily. And I look, I'm working on it. I don't know what to tell you. I'm working on it. Oh, boy. So we go to December 8th, 18th, 2018, the final Cork and Hall of the year. This show headlined by the Doi Darts match, Dragon Kid, Kines, Kai, Benkei, and Kazuma Sakamoto versus BB Hulk, Dragon Daya, Naruki Doi, Brother Yashi, and Yuki Yoshioka. Also on this match, an international tag team special attraction with Bandito and Flamita versus Daga and Pac, which was a very fun match. Any memories of Doi Darts or that international tag team match, Mike? My big pa- my, my big Daga memory came at Final Gate a week after this, <laughs> to be quite honest. but I, I don't have anything about Final Gate in my notes, so please, you have the floor to explain why Daga stole the show at Final Gate uh, 2018. Oh, that's when he decided to do an over-the-top Pescado and no one caught him. He's in straight to the floor. Straight to the floor for no what, reason whatsoever. Th- this is a promotion with Stockridge Cow in it, and that Daga spot is one of the funniest things that has ever happened. His, I, look, I would invite him back. I thought he had a really fun uh, run in this promotion. Yeah, there's reasons why uh, that apparently he's not allowed back. That He's on a list. So there are two matches that are worth talking about. Kagatora, Sachihoko Boy, Hiroshi Yamato, and Kota Minora. They defeated Ryo Saito, Don Fuji, Gamma, and Problem Dragon with Minora pinned Problem Dragon in a three-way tag team match that was Yoshino and Ashida. And they defeated Mochizuki and Hyo Watanabe and Yamato and UT with Ashida pinning Watanabe with a Tiger Suplex hold. After that opening eight-man tag, Minora said that last month, he didn't care much about being ranked against the other rookies, but he recently turned 20 and has a fresh outlook to go with it. And he will aim to finish at the top of the tournament in the hopes that in, in 2019 fans will support him. And then after Ashida pinned Hyo, Ashida said that just like last month, this proves that he is ahead of the rest of the young generation. Shun managed to injure himself and he isn't even here today. Stuff like that rules him out from ever being on top. As for UT and his annoying submission crap, he should prepare to he should prepare himself to die under a barrage of kicks. UT took offense at having his submissions mocked by someone who will only who only knows how to kick and fluke into a tiger suplex. They will find out which one is better soon enough. Furthermore, he hates people who talk shit in a Kanzai dialect. 
Yoshino interjected and pointed out that he speaks in a Kansai dialect. Did UT have a problem with Yoshino? Mochizuki at this point came in and brought up the crack that UT made about kickers last month, which prompted Yamato to warn him, uh, prompted Yamato to warn him to think a little harder before he provokes people. He even got the notoriously level-headed Yoshino angry. At this point, Hio was frustrated. He said that all of you are just talking nonsense. Yoshino, Yamato, and Mochizuki all wondered if they were included in that all of you. And then a brawl broke out between Watanabe, Ishida, and UT. Maybe Hio's had the big brain all the time. <laughs> you, you know, you, you look back three years ago and a lot of things start making sense. Yeah, maybe it's just that the big three-year journey has come to fruition now with Hio. It makes a lot of sense. I, I just love the fact that uh, Ashida at this time, like he definitely was a baby face. He was in the super face unit. He was a maximum. But he had an edge that was very much like, I hate everyone who's not in maximum. That kind of rocked in UT. Just UT was like a great foil for him in that regard. I really enjoyed that. I talked about it last week, but if you were for some reason worried about whether or not Ashida can be a baby face or not, do not worry about it. He he proved at maximum that he can do it. So from there, we move on to final gate, which I'll just gloss over. The uh, the big stuff here was a four-way twin gate match. Ben K and Big R Shimizu beating Speed Muscle, Kagator and Yamato, and Bandita and Flamita and their last matches in this promotion in a hair versus hair, or I'm sorry, a hair versus mask match between Dragon Kid and Ata. I've said it before. I just, I did not care for that feud at all. And I was so happy that it was over. Yeah, and this was the thing that Hulk got hurt. Like, when we talk about Hulk getting his broken neck, he, his broken neck happened at the December 18th Corican in that Doid Arts match. Like, we forgot to mention that when he brought up the Doid Arts match, but that's when he got his neck broken. So he had to vacate the Twin Gates, which was a shame because it was supposed, if I'm right, it was supposed to be Doyoshi versus Mexablood. And then it was the other uh, duo versus Tri Vanguard. Like, that was the original plan for this. You know, I don't remember that that would be i at open voice yet on twitter if anybody remembers the original plans for that i try to take note whenever there's big substitutions like that but i don't i don't remember that speed muscle versus mexa blood as a two-on-two match sounds like a lot of fun i'm sad we didn't get that now yeah it was supposed to be like a special international tag damn all right well we'll never get it now that sucks uh but that was final gate again for me this is nothing but bad memories other than the daga spot to the floor which mike discussed that dragon kid ata stuff just drove me nuts i did not like any of it we end the year kobe sambo hall uh december 26 2018 masaki mochizuki and yuki yoshioka they defeated masato yoshino and kaito ishida when yoshioka scored a uh, flash pin on ishida i won't go through everything here long story short after the match, Ashida said, you beat me with a flash pin, that doesn't count. And Mochizuki and Yoshino said, ah, actually it does. Yoshino's kind of known for his flash pins. And, and we head into 2019, January 12th, at Kyoto KBS Hall with our rookie ranking tournaments. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, so this is where we should talk about the format about the rookie ranking terms before we get into the matches itself. So there were seven people involved in the tournament. It was it was the Mochizuki Dojo kids, so Skywalker, Minenora, Watanabe, and uh, Yoshioka. And then it was Dragon Daya, who was kind of just like interjected <laughs> to this. He wasn't really involved too much in the storyline. <laughs> UT and Kaito Ishida. And then I, I'll talk about the lottery that happened in case we're getting the matches. They did a lottery. This was at KBS Hall to kind of pick spots to pick this happen because there's seven people. One person would get a first round buy. That was Kaito Ishida. And it set up the uh, first round matches of Daya versus Skywalker. Watanabe versus Yoshioka, and UT versus Minenora. 
So despite the fact that these shows, the Kyoto show and the Osaka show, despite the fact that they aired on the Gate network, they are not on there. So the powers that be may or may not have uploaded these matches to Daily Motion with a link to those matches in the episode description. And the password to watch those videos is OTVG. We will put all of that in the episode description. But any of the things that did not happen in Cork and Hall are not on the Gate network but you may or may not be able to watch them because a lot of these matches are worth watching. Yeah, uh, just look in the show notes. There might be there might be a little happy there, as the Spears family calls. Whenever someone surprises someone with like a little gift, a, a little surprise, we call it a happy. There's a hat. There might be a happy for y'all. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's the correct usage of that word, but I like it, and I'm going to steal it. I mean, that's something that came out of Mama Spears' mouth, and we've kind of adapted to it. Uh, Bentley calls it prizes. We call them happies. Uh, But the tournament kicked off. Starting off, it was rookie ranking tournament. First round, match A, Shun Skywalker versus Dragon Daya. Shun Skywalker defeated Dragon Daya in 8 minutes and 22 seconds with the Ashla to advance on in the tournament. This is an especially fun match to watch right now, given that we will probably see a rematch of some kind in 2022 and these guys could not be more different than the people they were in this match i mean it is uh, other than the names and the fact that well i can't even say the mask because dragon diet doesn't wear a mask now i mean they really have nothing in common with the guys they are now but this was a rare pre-november 2019 performance from dia that i thought was really fun you know he he jumps shun at the belly does a big dive over the top rope to the floor i thought that was great and then from there you know there's there's some hit and miss moments, and I think this is where Mike in particular at this point was was not sold on this guy at all because it's noticeable how light some of Dragon Daya's offense is compared to Shun and especially compared to your UTs and Ashitas and Yoshiokas, but he hung in there with Shun, and I thought it was a decent little match. Yeah, so one thing that I'm going to do when we talk about these matches, I have my notebook from 2018 and 2019 in front of me along with my when I watched through the matches for this episode. I'm higher on this match three years after the fact. Uh, the the thing of, about it with uh, w- with this match, at least for me, was it was teetering on the going off the rails, but not in the way that a Shun match happened. Like Shun basically guided Daya through this, and like my big takeaway from this now is you just like looked at this match, you look at Daya, and I have to give Daya credit. Like the transformation he's gone through the last three years really helped out because I did not buy into Daya whatsoever beating Shun in this match both times I watched it. He he just did not look like he was like physically in the same league as Shun Skywalker. And that's before Shun Skywalker really got jacked too. Yeah, that's something I, I noticed in all of the Shun matches is just how much bigger he is now, just his how muscular he is. And that's not something that I had necessarily thought about from when he returned from Mexico to now, I didn't realize just how big he had gotten, which is impressive considering that he's still able to do so many crazy things. The other thing that I took away from this match, and it's something that I actually had a brief, Alan Forrell tweeted something out about two cold Scorpio. There was a gift going around of him hitting a 450, and he connects with the move. And then he kind of fist pumps before pinning the guy. And, Alan was talking about, and rightfully so, about how more wrestlers really need to have uh, more notable reactions and need to react to things and be excited. And Mark Pickering agreed, the pro wrestling no announcer who's terrific. And I chimed in and said, you know, I think Shun is really, really good at this. And he doesn't necessarily get the credit for it. And the other thing that I just think as a whole, 
we don't give Shun enough credit for is he is a magnificent seller. And in this match, he made Dragon Daya's weak offense look not uh, uncredible in a way where it's like, okay, he's he's overselling for these moves. You know, this is a little ridiculous. He made Dragon Daya look credible, which was greatly needed. I mean, this was a professional performance in a spot where they desperately needed it. I don't think Yoshioka or Hyo or even maybe UT or Minora at this stage in their career could have guided Dragon Daya through this match the way Shun did. But it speaks to our point that we've been saying for a long time. You know, Shun has been really good for a really long time. Yeah, and it's something that with Shun Scott size, and we saw it more in this run versus uh, or in his Dreamgate run than we saw like in 2019. He he had a, an ability in this to kind of be the jungle gym, as I talked about for UT, being able to like be like, oh, he's a lanky guy that that lets someone who is a small technician like UT prosper. Can you just like grab a limb and just work with it? With, with Daya, it, it kind of in a way, I don't want to say based him in like the wrestling sense, but it based him kind of like in a psychological sense in this match. Like to this point in his career, this was probably the most I was impressed with with Dragon Daya in this match. Yeah, two and three quarters for me, a a fun opening stretch, a fun closing stretch, and some rough stuff in the middle. Yeah, then we moved on to match B. This was Yuki Oshioka defeating Hio Watanabe with the Groza into the Frog Splash and the longest match of the first round. This went 11 minutes and 48 seconds in case. I was higher on this match also, just slightly. I was three and a quarter in 2019, three and a half now. I really enjoyed this thing. And it was something that was really kind of fun to see. It, it's interesting to see like with the face and heel turns, like how drastically different 2019 Heo's offense was, or just general ring style was in comparison to how he is now in 2022. Yeah. When I think about Hyo from this era with the leopard tights, and I forgot that he used to wrestle in converses, which is such a dorky move. I'm so glad he stopped doing that. But this is an area where I, an era where I directly associate him with you because you were his biggest champion at the time. And you watch a match like this. And although he was at this stage, two and a half years into his career and really didn't have a ton to show for it, you watch a match like this and you go, no, this guy's good. Like, I don't I don't know what his ceiling is, but this is a guy they should use. He was really, really fun in this match. Yeah, and it's something where it, if we want to do like a skill graph, like like for a while, this was like where Hyo was at and he hit it very early. Whereas someone like Yuki Yoshioka, it, in, a, in a way, really kind of came out of this. Like, like when we wrap up, I we're watching this now was astounded by how good Yuki Yoshioka was in 2019. But Hyo was a lot of fun. Like, Hyo would do, like, the double handspring evades, and he had, like, all of, like, the various, like, fireman's carries moves, and then his two rope uh, uh, tarantula hold, I forgot what he called it. It's what uh, Yoshino bequested to to Estrella, his version of it. So You're I, I asking was... for move names. We, we, we're working on a project right now where I had to remember some move names, and it was absolutely torture. <laughs> right? You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah, but it, it's something that was also kind of remarkable because Yuki Oshoka at this point was around for basically two years. Like um, He came in at the end of 2016, so I'm just going to say two years. And you, you started to hear crowd calls for Yuki Oshoka at this point where he really did not have any of them at this point up to this point until this tournament so this tournament did a great job and we'll talk about it when we get to osaka the the way that the crowd started to really come out there but you started to already see it in in kyoto where yoshioka and hyo both got pretty solid amount of crowd calls 
I'm really excited for this year, the amount of heads that Yoshioka is going to turn because, you know, I've always been a big fan of him because he's always been very solid. You never really see Yoshioka in the wrong spot, which is not like you see a lot of guys on this roster in the wrong spot anyways. But Yoshioka is just a guy who assimilated himself very well. He seems to know who he is. And because he's essentially been gone two years because he's not going to wrestle anything like how he was wrestling as Diane Inferno. It's either, you know, we have people that listen to this podcast that love this podcast that have probably never watched a Yoshioka match prior to last week in real time. And there's other people who have just forgotten what this guy can bring to the table. So his 2022 is going to be a lot of fun in terms of gaining new fans and reminding old fans why they loved him so much. Yeah, because he was nails. Like, he was someone that he figured out, as you said, who he was in the, the ring. Like, the comp I was put on is he's going to be this generation Susumu Yokosuka. Just because you can just trust him and do it all. And we saw that last week. It's like, oh yeah, no. He is just as good, if not even a little better than he was before he went to Mexico. And it's it's going to be fun. Because I think that, I the thing that, just to get off on a slight tangent, not a long one thing i'll be really interested in is to see what inferno moves he pulls because he was doing the groza and the frog splash towards the end of the inferno run i'd like to see him you know use the inferno like make sure that it stays present in everyone's mind that, that this is what he was before he turned back to yuki yoshioka after the yoshioka versus watanabe match he and skywalker had a confrontation in the ring yoshioka said that he was going to finally beat him and establish himself as the top student in mochizuki dojo then he would go on to win the whole tournament on the 16th his goals resonated with skywalker who saw the same results in his future he was looking forward to their match tomorrow and yoshioka said that he was going to make all of the recent accomplishments skywalker has made for not and he hoped that skywalker would bring his best and then they shook hands yeah, this is just like, it, it's something that this was the cool thing about Mochizuki Dojo was the competition between them. It it, it really was the uh, Japanese equivalent of Catch Point because it was about competition. Oh, what a great callback. Oh, that was good stuff. <laughs> Hashtag everything evolves. Can we get Aaron Tab on this podcast? <laughs> I, I I mean, Tab's been, the, Tab's been getting really into Noah as of late. Yo, Maybe. my man's been tweeted. AT is such a good follow on Twitter. I, I He brings great content to the uh, to the timeline. <laughs> Big treat, big treat. Uh, <laughs> the last ranking match, like the cool thing about the show was they had them back to back to back. So you had like an like a forty five minute block of the ranking tournament. Was UT pretty much just putting Kota Menora in the mud? Four minutes and nineteen seconds with the Bienyave. This was a probably just because the style of the match was the weakest match of the first round here, but it just was like UT. And the thing, my takeaway was like, okay, Kota Menora had it together a lot earlier than I remember. Yes, this is what I always say about Minora, is he debuted in July, he got gear in August, and then he just immediately became a guy, and because he was sandwiched in between the class of 2016 and Ben and Shun and and Yoshioka, and then some of the more hype debuts of Dragon Daya and uh, Strong Machine J in the early part of 2019, that... Minora just got lost in terms of the buzz bin shuffle. You know, his buzzometer was always a little bit lower, which is really unfair to him because he hit the ground running. I mean, he we we don't give him enough credit for being one of the all time good from the get go guys. And there's obviously a lot of those guys within the dragon system. They excel on debuting guys that are competent and ready to work in front of audiences and Minora, just because of the timing of kind of, you know, coming in as one wave is crashing and another one is rising. He doesn't get talked about like that, but I 
adored this match. Oh my God, this was so good. It was four minutes of Menorah on offense, working over a UT, dissecting him, and then about 19 seconds of UT doing Yave moves and tapping him out. And it, oh my God, this was just so good to watch. Yeah, it basically was Menorah had, seemed like that he was in good control. It seemed like that he might be able to like throw him around and just grind him down that way, but he left a limb open. Uh, UT got it and immediately like rolled into the BN Yave. It's like, I'm done here. I, I, I'm not paid by the hour. I want to win this damn thing. Yeah, this was uh, the old kind of Masaki Mochizuki style spot. I know we once saw Mochizuki do this to Akira Tozawa on a Dragon Gate USA show where Tozawa had a German suplex and then Mochizuki somehow countered that bridging pin and turned it into an arm bar. And this is one of those deals where Minori had a German suplex bridged with the pin and UT was able to just climb all around and turn that into a submission attempt. Truly beautiful pro wrestling and that led to the aftermath uh, where UT and Ashita greeted one another, not as sportsmanlike as Skywalker and Yoshioka. UT put over Minora for showing what he was made of, but there was just no way he was going to beat UT in the spot. UT said, as for the kick boy, tomorrow in Osaka, one of his kicks would be turned into a Yave for the tap out. Ashita said he talks a lot of shit for someone who can only do bullshit submissions. Back in Tokyo, he said he hates how Ishida talks in a provocative Kansai dialect. Will he have the balls to say he hates Kansai dialect in front of the Osaka people? Of course not, Ishida said. His words were bullshit too. UT told him that the only Kansaibian words Ishida would be saying tomorrow are I give up and that a brawl broke out between the two. This is top-notch stuff. Yeah, and it's something that like shows the edge of Ishida that we're talking about. And then UT just like I, I like the fact that he was like this little pit bull, you know, in a way that like you grab a limb in his mouth and you would just not let it go and he would just constantly be you you know, no matter what his mouth was too big than his fist. It, it's something that like now we don't really see that with UT, but it was a nice edge to have for him given like the f six years he had before that like seeing this thing and this is like really when i started to get really entranced by ut and how he became with the exception of shizuki probably my favorite person to watch in the company i would say started at yeah. this point it's interesting because I remember at this point getting on board with UT and really liking the work he was doing, but I don't remember any of these promo translations. So to read these now, especially just given how he's developed into such a nice young boy who dances for natural vibes and hawks merchandise and hangs out with funky Jackie Kamei. Loves I his mother. <laughs> lo loves his mother. And if you haven't seen it on the Drangate uh, YouTube channel, this is free. This has nothing to do with the network. The Drangate YouTube this past week was uploading two matches from each of the house shows. This is Drangate Japan Pro Wrestling on YouTube. And on the January 17th upload, there's a Natural Vibes versus RED main event in UT's hometown, and UT's mother gets involved. I mean, you'd you love to see someone, you know, eventually get their act together, you know? Yes, the, and by the way, getting their act together, how about Drangate's digital team? Go support this endeavor. This was their trial run. If you're not subscribed to this YouTube channel, subscribe to it, leave a comment, like a video, do something to let them know that people are interested in these YouTube uploads. Yeah, and that's something we don't talk about a lot, just for like a minute. Um, the, the easiest way to convince Dragon Gate to do more things it's basically to show support of what happened now. But like part of the reason why they started doing monthly English was they saw the response and the uptick of 
uh, international subscribers to the network and that encourage them to do that. If if they get enough, like if they see enough results, they will do it. They will continue doing this and maybe expand it more. It's something that I know, Case, you and I, we've been kind of begging for on like pleading knees for them to kind of up this a little bit. So I'm glad to see that they're at least giving it a trial run. Yeah, look, there's there's a number of things, and I have I have talked to people who have at one point or another worked for Dragon Gate. There's a number of things that I think their digital team could be doing better to embrace English fans, but. They've had experience in the past with trying to reach out to English-speaking fans, whether it was through their English merchandise store or stuff like that. You know, Prime Zone was, you know, launched as something with English subtitles at first. It might not be exactly what we're hoping for, but it's something and we need to acknowledge that. And if you care about, you know, more footage or more expansion into America to some degree, this is the type of stuff that you, you know, slap a like on it. Easily so. So we had our semifinals coming out of this, and it's worth stating that this was not a tournament that was just going to decide a winner. They were going to have full rankings, one through seven. I should have said this when we, when we started talking to Kyoto. The, the idea was everyone who lost in the first round matches, they would have a, a three-way decision match to decide fifth through seventh. Uh, the runner-ups and the uh, semifinals so the people who lost in semifinals will have a third fourth place match and of course the winner there so the idea about this tournament was by the end of it jim yagi's uh science would prove who was the top rookie and who was at the last who was in the back and that you know official last place match never happened because this is you know either when dia got hurt or got the flu and so there ends up being a fifth place decision match between hio and minora on the 14th uh, which Hyo won, which meant that Hyo had finished fifth, Minora had finished sixth, and Daya by default had finished seventh. But we still have our semifinals to talk about, Mike. That's right. And that and, and at this time, it was very exciting because less than 24 hours later, we had the rookie ranking semifinal. It would be Shun Skywalker and Yuki Oshioka in the Battle of Mochizuki Dojo on one side of the bracket. And then the feud that kind of just was picking up steam was happening with Osaka's own Kaito Ishida versus UT. The first semifinal match was Shun Skywalker versus Yuki, Yuki Yoshioka. And Shun wins this match with a Skywalker moonsault after two Ashlas. So this is one of those weekends that I distinctly remember. And I specifically remember talking to you after this Osaka show and going like, oh, shit, okay, I'm I'm in. You know, there was clearly a lull in interest, even from me as a reviewer in 2018, but if we're going to get matches like this, this is something that I can get on board with. And if you go, and I, I don't necessarily recommend this because it was audio from three years ago, and I, I would hope to God that I have improved as a podcaster from then to now, but I talked about with Alan Forrell on his Pro Wrestling Torch show. I think it was the first time that I had had done his show on the torch, I talked about with him about how, you know, Ashida and UT and Skywalker, you know, these were products of the Dragon Gate Dojo, but these guys just wrestled differently. We we labeled them kind of bantamweights at the time where they didn't have the technique, you know, even UT didn't have the technique of a T2P guy. They didn't necessarily have the flashiness of the original class. They kind of just threw themselves at one another, and it was really, really exciting to watch. And this was the weekend both Shun versus Yoshioka and Ishida versus UT, where all of a sudden that became clear. And, and we see it now that these wrestlers who are now in the main event scene that are leading this company, 
you know, they don't wrestle like a Doi or a Mochizuki or a Yoshino, and that has turned some people off, but I ultimately think that's good for the company. Yeah, and it's something that with the generation change and with things happen, like we were starting to see in 2019 the style that would dominate kind of the company. I mean, it, it's funny that later this year would be when Keisuke Akuda would appear in Dragon Gate full-time in 2019, but you had these guys doing completely different things like it's something and it's not a bad thing that case i i bet if we were given a card of just like right now and it would have six torimon originals in a match we could probably call out 90 percent of the stuff that's going to happen in the match but we probably wouldn't there'd be like little things that we get wrong but but we would get what it was what what they were going to do here in 2019 this was brand new and I wanted to clarify this here just before I get any ads on Twitter. It was Skywalker did a victory roll in this one for the pinfall, not the uh, Skywalker moonsault. That would come later. Well, I'm sure you would have been taking a task for that. But yes, the Skywalker <laughs> versus the Ocean. You, you hit it exactly on the head. I mean, I always joke about how I think with a month of training, I could have Ultimo Dragon's match. I could do his spots on an eight-man tag with him. And that's not necessarily disparaging Ultimo, but... As someone that has spent a lot of the last year either watching his universal footage from before he had the mask, a little bit of his of his work in Mexico, and then obviously everything he's done in Drangate, I can call an Ultimo match. Like I know what he's doing. And again, that's not a bad thing, but it, it it's how it is. But that's exactly it. We we didn't know what these guys were gonna do. I mean, I forgot just because Shun, you know, I talked about how he's put on so much muscle earlier, and he still does a lot of crazy dives and takes a lot of it takes a lot of risk, but Oh my God, you go back and watch 2019 Shun, and it's a little reminiscent of, and bear with me, I'm only comparing them as wrestlers, but if you look at a 2015 or 2016 Will Ospreay match to a, you know, even his last year as a junior 2019, those are different humans. Will is still taking risks, but he's not taking them in such a way that, you know, helped him make a name on an international stage. This is one of those matches where Shun does this like zigzag dive to the floor, which I completely forgot that he used to do where he it's, it's like a hesitation tope. I don't even know how to describe it. And when he did that, you know, my hands went on top of my head. I, I completely forgot that this was a spot that he had in his arsenal. And there was just a number of things like that. I mean, I have in my notes, just an absurd finishing stretch. Just these guys trading big moves and pins and bombs. That's the thing. These guys were junior heavyweights. They were throwing bombs at one another, and it was so exciting. And this match holds up in such a beautiful way. Yeah, and it's something that kind of shows some of their skill beyond their years because I have this both in my notes from uh, 2019 and in 2022. Uh, there's a moment where Yuki Yoshioka does the springboard missile dropkick that he doesn't necessarily springboard clean or he slips up a little bit and he turns it into a sliding t like a flying shoulder tackle and i was like that's awesome like that that shows someone who is in total command of themselves like we've been talking about but the, the closing stretch where yoshioka goes for the frog splash shun gets his knees up at like the exact right moment and yoshioka perfectly timed yes i th go ahead but i had to interject there you, words insane. can't do justice to how good this was yeah, yeah, it, it, and, and Yoshioka sold it like he got shot in the stomach, and it, it had a real deep near fall that Osaka going nuts for Yuki Yoshioka. Like, guys, he is going to be, like, the heartthrob of this thing. Like, I know he's with Daya right now, but Naruki Doi should send out some feelers to see if he wants to be a hot boy, because the ladies love Yuki Yoshioka. You know, it's funny you bring up the crowd. 
obviously between the greatest wrestler ever project that we did last year and just my natural consumption of digital media, I've watched a lot of old wrestling over the past two years as Japan has been under COVID restrictions. And for the most part, it doesn't bother me. But watching these guys who are now the focus of this promotion in front of a rabid, and I mean bold, italicized, and underlined rabid Osaka crowd, it made me really miss crowd noise. It, it, it's insane. So in 2019, I gave this three and a quarter. This must have hit me in the right spot when I rewatched it. I, I went three and three quarters on this. I loved as, it. As did I. Same reading. There we go. Uh, I know that there was a post-match promo before we get into the other semifinal. Yes, uh, Shun asserted himself as the top-ranked member of Mochizuki Dojo. Still, Yoshioka is his peer, his rival, and his comrade And Mochizuki Dojo. Speaking of Aaron Taub, he will carry his spirit with him in the finals on Wednesday. And the reason I wanted to make sure you read that, was Shun Skywalker a heel all along? And he just only really tapped into it because between this and the way he had his mental breakdown about masquerade, he constantly says things like, I will, I will do this for you. I will, you are weak, but I, I will take care of this Aaron and calling Kota Minor an idiot for, you know, not sticking with the plan and not like falling in line here. Maybe Shun Skywalker was always a heel and he's just now expressing it. It's going to be interesting when, you know, your Coach Benora's or your Yuki Yoshioka's or even your Jason Lee's, who, although he was only affiliated with Shun officially in Masquerade, and I guess in the, uh, well, Shun wasn't really in the Dragon Gate generation. So, you know, Jason was only affiliated with Shun for a year, but these two go back to the dojo and they've spent a lot of time together, clearly. When you put Minora Lee or Yoshioka in a therapist chair, and I saw the same therapist for seven years, I credit it with basically any success that I've had in my life is because of this therapist, because she really helped me through a lot of things. I have a feeling when these three sit down across from a therapist, they're going to make some mind blowing revelations about the way that Shun Skywalker has treated them over the last four or five years. He is a fascinating character. And it's, you know, it's one of those deals where, you know, in my position, I remember when Shun debuted without the mask, just as Shun Watanabe and to see him grow into this man, into this leader and into this main eventer, I never would have imagined we'd be where we're at today with Shun, where he's not only one of the best wrestlers in the world, but one of the single most compelling characters in all of wrestling. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. And it's something that like when reading the notes here, that kind of just like popped my head. It's like, maybe he's just always been a giant piece of work. Just, just, <laughs> and, and everyone just tolerated him for that long. And uh, we, we shoved it down. We said, no, no, it's, I, I, I'm the problem. Shun, Shun's right. You know, he is the top dog of Mochizuki Dojo, but yeah, some things are going to come out of those sessions and it's going to be eye opening for former masquerade members. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is for sure. I mean, uh, Daya's, uh, therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, maybe he's already, maybe he's already went through that. You know, I mean, he has a skateboard. He's cool as hell now. You know, so so I had this mask, right? And this mask was kind of my whole thing. And I was in the process of defending this mask, and my friend shoved me into losing the mask. What am I supposed to do with that? And this is after my friend gaslighted me <laughs> for the last month and a half, saying, "No, that's not this guy in the mask." We all knew it was the guy. <laughs> Turns out, me and that guy, we're okay now. We're actually really good. We don't know why Yoshioka, and we haven't talked about this. We don't know why Dai and Yoshioka are on such good terms right now. No, that's that's I'm I'm sure we'll figure that out. You know, since we're talking about contemporary Dragon Gate for just a second, and by the time this comes out. This might have been announced on Dragon Gate English social media, but can I break some news live on this podcast? 
breaking news. <laughs> so, uh, Coach Minora does a weekly column for, I believe it's the Weekly Puro app. You can only get it behind a paywall, and I think only on a smartphone in Japan, because I have tried numerous times to open these links and to no avail. But I had somebody, a good friend of the podcast, look into something as we were recording. And in Menorah's column this week, he says, and I quote, to answer the question of there's been a lot going on with units. Is everything all right? Menorah says, I want to start fresh. So I am no longer affiliated with any units. Nuruki Doi. You know how Nuruki Doi was when he saw this, probably? <laughs> yeah, Nuruki Doi was the opposite of Homer Simpson into the bushes. He came out and established his presence in Kota Minora's life. Yeah, I mean, watch out, Kota. We know how these things work with Doi. <laughs> it's, a nice partnership. It's, a, it's a nice partnership now. You will be getting kicked in the face in about 18 months. That is part of teaming with Nuruki Doi. That's just how it works. Stay away from him. Stay away. <laughs> All right. So the other semifinal match, this was Ishida versus UT. Ishida hooked an, an arm during a Casadora attempt and locked in the Tiger suplex hold in 12 minutes and 48 seconds. And I, 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 I'll be real interested to see how this happens whenever restrictions open up. But let me tell you, for January 13th, 2019, you, you know what Osaka Edeon 2 was, Case? Yes. What, what was it? Well, we, we, we both know what it was. It was Kaito Ishida country. Everyone was <laughs> yeah. was for the kick boy here. <laughs> yeah, this is one of, if we define it by post-OWE Dragon Gate, this is one of my favorite matches that the company has put on. This I, And I, I had really warm memories of this match going into rewatching it. I hadn't seen it since it first aired and I had enjoyed the tournament up to this point, And I just, I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up or not. I really had this, it, again, it had a special place in my heart. And you think that this match is actually better on rewatch is uh, it's, I, I used the term earlier, beautiful, but it's a beautiful thing. I mean, UT is a machine in this match. He works over Ashita's ankle to such a beautiful degree. He counters a tiger suplex into an ankle lock. I mean, he is just doing things that I have never seen a Matt wrestler do before. And he does exactly what he says he's going to do to Ashida in the promos leading up to the match. Ashida's going to throw kicks and UT is going to catch them and turn them into submissions. The only thing was that UT could just never finish this guy off. Yeah, and he eventually let uh, Ishida back into the match, and he went a little bit lucha-heavy, and Ishida, I guess, scouted out the fact, like, oh, yeah, no, the, the, his style, all these dumb holds are based on lucha, so, you know, can I find a way, if he's going to try to Casadora me, how I'm going to be able to make make moves of that? And it was fascinating. He, like, locked it in a Tiger Suplex hold, and it just was something that, like, UT, like, turning a a prawn hold into like an ankle lock and a huge ankle lock uh, that there was like this ankle that there was like this leg work part that he did that wasn't just throwing holds he did like what what i call a kangaroo kick like this basement absolute basement drop kick to Sheeta's knee and it just the crowd just was like at that point just went was just like screaming for kaito to get up out of it uh the one thing that i noticed on rewatch was shun skywalker looking very unhappy at ringside <laughs> Yeah, I, th the whole presentation of this, this whole tournament, 
they just nailed it. And in the moment we knew that this was something special, I don't think any of us could have predicted that three years after the fact, again, a tournament, listen to these names, Yuti, Kaito Ishida, Shun Skywalker, Hyo, Yuki Yoshioka, Coach Minora, Dragon Daya. Those are the guys that we spent two hours talking about last week. I don't think Dragon Gate had any idea just how important all of these guys would, would become to the core focus of their promotion. But in the moment, this felt like a really big deal. And the reason we're talking about it is now, I mean, this is this is as good as it gets. This is an all-time tournament just in terms of presentation and build and then the match quality between this semifinals, uh, UT versus Ishida, and then what would come a few days later in Cork and Hall. Every single element of this tournament was done to perfection. Yeah, and should we, should we move on to Cork and Hall then? Let's do it. All right, so this was only three days later. This was on the 16th. Like, this is the crazy thing about this tournament. GM Yagi, you were wild for this one. You basically had them go, like, run through this gauntlet. You're like, all right, kids, make sure you get your training in. And he wasn't kidding because they, they would all have three singles matches between now or two to three if you lost your first round match. But you basically would have three singles matches in a week, which for some of these people, like like for Hyo or for, like, Dragon Daya, that was the potential of having more singles matches in a week than they ever had on the show. So... It was, or in a week normally. So it was like a big like event there. And that led to January 16th, Cork and Hall. This one is up on the network. The first match you would have would be the third place decision match. As Case met, mentioned, the uh, five through seven match got changed to fifth and sixth. So this was the side, the third place, third placer in the tournament. This was Yuki Yoshioka versus UT. Yuki Yoshioka would win this match and claim third place in the ranking and the rookie ranking tournament with a desperation inside cradle after UT was really starting to get in control. He kind of, it was something where Yuki Yoshioka was doing fine, and then UT grabbed a hold and was starting to grind him out, and then he got desperation cradle to get the win. Before I talk about any of this match, you mentioned during Ishida versus UT in Osaka, Shun Skywalker watching at ringside. He was sitting next to the timekeeper and whoever else was at that ringside table. Really cool visual there. Did you notice who was at ringside for this match, Mike? Jeez, uh, who was it? I, I did not notice. I apologize. No, it's okay. When Yuki Yoshioka makes his entrance, Kento Kabune is walking him to the ring. And Mike, who is Kento Kabune? Oh, he's now SB Kento. I meant to say this at Kyoto. You, you get to see all of Class of 2020 working ringside duties during these shows. Yes, so uh, SB Kento walks Yoshioka to the ring. Kamei walks UT to the ring. Amazing how that works. And then you can see Kakuta at ringside watching along in this match. I did not I did not notice Sora Fujikawa in this match, but I'm sure he was there at some point. But it's it's one of those great things that obviously in the moment, you know, these are just guys. We don't know if we're ever going to see them debut or not. I just learned about uh, a <laughs> little personal anecdote about my life. I got sucked into uh, the Dragon Gate wrestlers blogs that they don't really post as much anymore. But for a while, this was like a big thing that they did. And uh, Super Shisa had a blog and Susumu had a blog. And I think Horiguchi had one too, but I was, I was reading Susumu's and there's a picture from July of 2018 with a young coach Minora 
an unmasked pre-debut Dragon Daya, and then a third trainee who, to my knowledge, we never saw. You know, at the time, we just we didn't know who these kids were, but you look at the beautiful symmetry. I'm going to stop using that word beautiful, but pro wrestling is beautiful. Uh, this, you know, the symmetry between now you've got Espy Kinto and Kamei and Kakuta all watching along two guys that they immediately caught up with. You know, the class of 2016 and, you know, class of 2018 with Minora, it looked like they had had this great head start, and then Espy Kinto debuted and said, nah, I'm actually going to leapfrog past all of you guys and it's just great to see these little things in a match like this yeah i didn't notice sora on Corkin, but i did notice him in kyoto yes so he he definitely was i did notice og out there for this one which I, this must I, have been between the times that og got hurt I, I never noticed og when he was in the ring let alone a ringside attendant so i, I hey, did not pick up on that hey there was a budding feud between og shiba and jimmy last year that never came or two years ago that never came to anything <laughs> oh boy well this is the uh, the bill simmons sliding glass doors moment what would have happened if we saw the culmination of og shiba versus jimmy i mean jimmy's doing all right for himself he's back he he's back off the injured list he has a couple titles out in mexico he's doing all right uh yeah, Jim, OG... jim's awesome I, we, we this is a very pro jimmy podcast oh, yeah. OG, og shiba I, I don't know about but we love the jimmy i think he's working in dove pro so yeah, that's uh, true. He did wrestle for Dove Pro in December. So uh, tell Naoki Tanazaki we said hi. <laughs> now that's a conversation I would like to hear. I, look, Naoki Tanazaki has replied to me on Twitter before. I think he's a great wrestler still. I, I still think he's very good. I would love for him to work a place that doesn't give me the heebie-jeebies. And Dove Pro, let me tell you, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. K-Slow is not a Ray Paloma respecter. I... You know, for, well, well, their motto. And, 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 and you could say that about me. You could put my name next to that quote. I stand by that. <laughs> what about Gunso? You, you're right, Gunso, but Ray oh, Paloma, no, no oh, deal. God, that's all horrible. Oh, what a. I, I, there was like a point in time where people, people cared about Guts World and they cared about Dove Pro. It's why it's, I brought up the Kyushu Pro thing a few weeks ago when they ran Shinjuku Face. I was like, you don't understand if you're newer to this bubble. Like a few years ago, there would have been a guy who would have watched that Kyushu Pro show and that would have become his online gimmick. Like he he would have said that whoever was on that show was better than Okada and Shingo at the Tokyo Dome. And it's just, we don't have that anymore, which is better for our mental health, but it's also not as much fun. I mean, a lot of fun, you know, watching people get really hyped up about a, a, a Genjin boys match. You know, I mean, that was always a wild time for me. Uh, do, do you ever think, think about how deep in the bubble we are? Like, oh, the yes. fact that that we, like, know and watch and to some degree care about Ryuku Dragon Pro. Because my dad was, like, my dad doesn't know anything about wrestling. He doesn't want to know anything about wrestling. But he's nice, and every once in a while will kind of ask me what's going on with the website of the podcast or whatnot. And it's fun for me to just throw names at him. It's just like, I get it out of my system. He goes, okay, cool. Next topic. You know, what are we going to talk about now? But just thinking like, I have emotional investment in Gurkin mask and I'm a 22 year old living in Chicago. That's fucking insane. It, I don't, <laughs> I like it's wrong, but I'm very happy with the decisions that I've made in my life. Yeah. Uh, I've come to peace with this a long time ago, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you don't walk. You don't walk this path without just being. A, if you walk this path, you'd be totally aware of what you're getting into, and that is me. Since having a sincere love and appreciation for Gurkha Mask, you know, love him. Oh, he's the best. That doesn't make it 
uncomfortable when people are like, oh, yeah. Like when I meet someone who's like, oh, yeah, you, you do podcasting. Uh, so, so what do you talk about? Does that is that always a pleasant conversation? No, no. no I, I, I was on a date last week. And as I was preparing for the date, I was paralyzed with fear because of my you know i was going to talk about my shoot job which is in the radio industry and i've been asked before by people when i talk about my job you know oh do, do, does that mean you have a podcast then and it was easier when i was also doing a music podcast because i could just say oh yeah you know i talk to my friends about music every once in a while here's that show but you know honey's gotta know i'm busy every tuesday night but she also can't know what i'm talking about you know i i look we did some manscaped ads this summer i would bring a woman back to my apartment and and you know, get very lucky. And Grand Hamada was watching us in the distance on a universal Lucha Libre poster. And I have to live with that. And this is a woman who has been through a lot in her life and she has to live with that as well. Uh, you, you know, I didn't, I forgot that you live in a studio apartment and not like a one bedroom <laughs> studio apartment with a Grand Hamada universal Libre, a universal Lucha Libre poster on the wall next to framed modern baseball LPs and then on my TV stand is little action figures of Hamada, Fujinami, Ultimo, and Milano, and then a Morrissey Funko Pop, because I am the worst person you've ever met. And I have to walk around living with this. I I can't escape this skin. This is just who I am. Well, I I, I don't know if this is any solace or anything, Case, but <laughs> it compartmentalizing and being able to carp compartmentalizing your space will help you out with that eventually one day yep leases for another six months but i will get on that soon <laughs> but, uh, moving back to the match uh it was good it was really really good <laughs> it rocked that was three and three quarters uh the the insane arm bar shoulder muffler that ut does in this match it i i'm pointing out stuff that have both my notes now and three years ago that was i he hasn't really done it since then but boy, well, like when he, like he pulls out holds like this, I get instantly invested to a, to a deeper degree because I'm like, oh wow, okay, I didn't know the body worked like that. Yeah, it's fun watching this era of UT because, you know, we know him now as the way I've described him is that he is, you know, one of the ring generals of this roster. I trust that UT can go out there and have a great match with anybody. But this was still very new at the time and. It was less so like this is the UT we expect and kind of as you talked about earlier, it was very new and seeing UT being able to stay healthy, be this entertaining, develop the style that was uniquely his own and he was able to carve out his own niche in this promotion. And now we're used to it. Now we know that he is you know, one of the beating hearts of Drangate, but at the time it was just very new and, and I will use that term again, exciting because I didn't think he was capable of you know, up until a few months prior in 2018, I didn't think he was capable of having a match this good. And he went out there and absolutely crushed it. Yeah. And this is something because like right after this, then he remember like this was the year that he had that, that twin gate challenge with Kai that I loved. And you were like, Mike, why do you care about this match so much? Like that was a month later after this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, very, very, very well put. <laughs> so the finals to decide the rookie ranking tournament, winner to be the first ranked member of the young generation was Shun Skywalker versus Kaido Ishida. Shun Skywalker won this match with two Ashlas and the, and the Skywalker Moonsault. I accidentally spoiled the finish of the damn tournament case 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and what I had at the time is four and a half stars. I think this finished really high for my Dragon Gate top 10 of the year. And, you know, three years later, four and a half star match. This is bliss. 
Yeah, it was why I was so excited heading into Champion Gate last year when Shun and Nishida had their Dream Gate match because, again, th- you know, this whole show was so exciting because it felt like Dream Gate had some life to it because you had the finals of this tournament and then the main event was Mochizuki versus Kondo and it was the first time that Shuji Kondo had appeared in Dragon Gate since the end of 2004 and we didn't really know that the 20th anniversary, we didn't know what the 20th anniversary series was going to become. We didn't know that it was going to lead to Ultimo debuting so in my mind, I was like, well, we got Mochizuki versus Kondo. That's a win. And then we also have this rookie ranking tournament finals match where they wrestle like main eventers. And and if you want to analyze Shun Skywalker's career, if you look at him in 2022 as this deranged lunatic and you want to know how he got here, it really starts with this match, which again is world-class main event caliber could headline any show in the world and then he goes on just to get a little bit ahead of ourselves. You know, he beats Ben K in February and then he loses to Pac in March. And then he has that great, he, yeah, he escapes the cage and exits Mochizuki Dojo in May. And Mochizuki, as we established earlier, despite making the rule that anybody could come and go at any time, Mochizuki takes umbrage with Shun leaving. And they have a four and three quarter star King of Gate match that year in Cork and Hall. I still think it is a crazy underrated match that more people need to watch or rewatch if they haven't seen it in a while. He has that match. And then the KZ match at Kobe world of that year, which was the show stealer. And what a lot of people were talking about exiting from that show. And then after he loses to KZ at world, he goes on that losing streak and it's what causes him to leave for Mexico. Like everything we've seen all started with this match. And it's, you know, it's around the time, and I said this in my review at the time, okay, Shun Skywalker can wrestle as a main eventer now, and that was something that I, I didn't know if he had in him, but Shun is the king of this class. He's way ahead of everybody else, and Ashida and UT and Minora and whoever else needs to get on his level because this was Shun Skywalker's official coming out party. Yeah, and we really got the complete Shun Skywalker performance here, just doing the stuff that we kind of, like, just grip our fingernails like we clench our fists and go like oh guys this is gonna go poorly and somehow it never did it never really went as bad as we were suspecting like he does this uh the the slingshot knees which isn't that complicated but it was a move that i really miss of his that he doesn't do as much he's such anymore. a big guy that has to suck that move just absolutely has to suck to take yeah yeah oh god and he, he coming in heavy that, that, that's not a good time because <laughs> yeah. Shun, shun's not working light brother this isn't kevin nash on a house show <laughs> shun's bringing the thunder. yeah yeah he's gonna give you the actual squisher but uh he it, did that it, moonsault to the floor where he jumps yes he, i mean he jumps into the ceiling and then if you look you can see uh, uh kakuta is is right there i think he dives onto kakuta actually more so than ashida uh, so he's right in the fray there but that is for all of the crazy shun dives that he's done that is probably the craziest and then ashida moments later goes for a tope and it's it certainly isn't the way the spot was intended at least i don't think but ashida goes for this tope and it knocks Shun back into all of the ringside attendants in the first row of Corkin, and then he kind of naturally carries his momentum forward, encounters the tope, and then hits you know one of those crazy Shun uh, Skywalker slams on the floor, and it's it's almost cinematic the way Shun just falls into this pit of people and then comes back in an offensive position. It's remarkable. Yeah, and the way that he worked that Ashla, because he doesn't really do that move either anymore. 
but like the way that it was like because for a while the Oshlov was his finish and the fact yeah. that he did it to the floor it felt like oh god this match might be over before we get like a clean finish in the ring and then the the, the, the last like big notes you hit on the dives that I thought Shin was astounding about was somehow the camera angle they had on the springs the springboard splash that he did was insane like it was like shooting up from the floor and like at the right angle that looked insane and Ashida was great in this too like this was not a Shun Skywalker performance like in a lot of ways like you could tell that Ishida was the veteran in this match and was kind of in a way I don't want to say leading but in a way he was a grounding force in this and he would do stuff like the apron dragon screw that was really sick and like just going for his head at any opportunity kicking him was really something nice and it's something that now if like three years now i kind of want to go back and watch last year's champion gate uh main event just to see like okay what do they bring things forward from this match into 2021 because i feel like that 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 this did build upon stuff that we saw in osaka last year i almost feel like i need to go back and rewatch this match again because you know uh, you're exactly right ashita held his own but i this is not an ashita match to me i don't really remember a lot that he did this is so shun all the way the way he carried this match. It, it's a, a definitive Shun Skywalker performance to me. Absolutely. And as you said, after this, uh, Shun Skywalker uh, challenged Ben K because Ben K was a member of the class of 2016, but I'm actually going to steal your role here for a second. And he brought up the fact that he far surpassed his peers and it was his time to challenge that guy. He called out Ben K because he has been playing catch up to him this whole time. No more. He wanted him one-on-one the next month. That's great stuff. I mean, that, you know, that Ben versus Shun match was outstanding. And then that led to that Pac versus Shun match, which, you know, people rightfully so remember Pac versus KZ. And because it happened on a bigger show, they remember Pac versus Dragon Kid. But I point to that Pac versus Shun match with a talking point that you always bring up that Pac knows his character in the ring better than anybody else in wrestling. And that was, it's such a strange match where you go in knowing that Shun is going to lose, but it doesn't feel like a placeholder match. Like, you know, there are times where, you know, you'll see, you know, Yamato defend his belt against whoever, and it's like, oh, they're not winning. Who cares? You know, move on. Kai and Yoshida, you know, God for, I I don't think Yoshida's winning the belt. I actually, there's a rare time where I feel like I know where the Dreamgate is going this year, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week when we review the Kobe Sambo Hall show. But uh, this is, you know, that Pac Reign, had so many bright spots in it, and the the Shun match is really one of the great storytelling Dreamgate matches of all time, and uh, it's it's because Pac was great and because Shun was able to work with him at his level. Yeah, and this is one of those moments that I'm glad that you brought up this as an idea because you look at it, and it's so reflective because you look at what happened in that Pac match, and that Pac match pretty much in a way solidified Shun for the run he would go on last year. Just because of, all right, like the best way to get experience is to wrestle people who are better than you. And at that time, Pac was one of the top 20 wrestlers in the world, still is. And Shun was clawing his way up there. And because of that, that match at, yeah, no, that was, that was Edeon too. I was thinking about the, I was thinking like, no, that's not a Hakata. The last show in Hakata, I think, was main evented by KZ and, and uh, Pac, which, yeah, that's that was a the last one. Yeah, yeah, that's man. That that just bums me out. We're coming up on the three year anniversary of Akata Starlane's retiring Pour or being out. torn down. Yeah, do you, I know. I remember this match. Do you remember on that show the match that Don Fuji had? No. 
if it's up on the network, it's worth a rewatch if you're in a bad mood. Don Fuji versus Stalker Chikawa. Oh, wonderful. Because I know that show is on the network because I was uh, uh, going through some stuff and rewatching Pac versus KZ, which, let me tell you, still very, very good. Uh, but I do not remember uh, Fuji versus Stalker on that show. I will check that out. I, I'm not going to spoil a lot about this match. I'm going to watch it, but I will say a ladder gets involved. <laughs> all right i'm sold I, I know what i'm doing tomorrow yeah folks go watch the last uh after you watch all the the ricky ranking league stuff log say logged in the network go back to 2019 i think it was if, if i'm able to pull up this date in case check if i'm right if i'm able to pull this date out my ass then i need to go buy a lotto ticket uh i think it's february 4th 2019 february 4th was the cork and hall show the hakata star lane show was february 10th 2019 fuck okay <laughs> well as i take my l i think that's going to do it for us this week as case mentioned we'll be back next week talking about the final televised show on the network uh the, their first appearance in the friendly confines of the year they'll be in kobe sambo hall on the 22nd that is a 6 p.m local start i believe that's 4 a.m on the east coast uh case do you have anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here do you have a good conclusion for the rookie raking league well, like I said, the links to the Kyoto and Osaka matches are going to be in the episode description. At the very least, I would carve out 15 minutes for UT versus Ishida if you've never seen it or you want to rewatch it because it's it's really a special match. But I, I feel like coming out of the Cork and Hall shows in January, you know, over the past few weeks, Mike and I have talked to you a lot about Western interest in Dragon Gate and where it stands and what they can do better. I mean, I, we, we got sent uh, the open, the voice gate listener numbers for all of 2021. And I laughed uproariously when I saw that they were so true to the Dragon Gate business model where, look, I can't believe as many people listen to the show as they do. I'm so happy with, with the number of listeners. It is a straight fucking line from January to December. And I think it's the funniest thing of like, Oh, surely more people are going to be interested in Kobe World Review than they are Way of the Ronin 2014 Drangit USA Review. No, 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 no. The people that listen to this podcast truly listen to this podcast, and I appreciate that. If you're a newer listener and you're, again, new to this, you heard some buzz that, you know, I feel like those Cork and Hall shows, like I was saying, is the most Western buzz that Drangit has had probably since Kobe World 2019. Maybe they're, you know, 2020 was a good year. I know a lot of people care that year, but they, they fell off at the start of 2021. You're wondering, you know, how in the hell did we get here? Who are these guys? This rookie ranking tournament explains it all. I mean, this really tells the story for the next three years. And like I said earlier, I don't think Gate intended that. I think they were hoping to make Shun a star out of this. And as it turns out, they made Shun a star and they made six other stars as well. And I think there's no better way to sum up this episode of Rewind and Rewatch by that statement. So you can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. I'm at Fujiheya. Case is at underscore in your case. Thanks for listening to the VoiceGate. We'll be back next week talking about the final show of Dragon Gate's 2022 start in January. I lost the third of this transition. We'll be back next week. Bye. <laughs>